Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And I'm really excited about sharing today's episode with you guys. Um, It's, I think, probably the best podcast I've recorded so far. Uh, I get to catch up with Brian Barney, who's just an outstanding guy and an amazing backcountry bow hunter. And we cover tons of topics. Uh, We talk about his season this year. It's one of his best seasons to date. We talk about antelope hunting. We talk about high country mule deer, a little bit about elk. And we even cover stuff like self-filming his hunts and, um, and even backcountry footwear. So cover a lot of topics and uh, Brian's just a wealth of information, a really experienced guy. And one of the topics we spend a lot of time on actually is training for the backcountry and mindset and mental toughness and uh, just preparing your mind and body uh, for these hunts, which of course takes discipline. And Brian is a really disciplined, uh, just really cool guy. So and so actually, I also found this this verse that um, I thought really went well with today's uh, discussion. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And it says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And that verse just really went perfectly with this discussion, um, because we really talk a lot about discipline and training, and um, Brian is a big time uh, runner, a distance runner. You know, he does it all to train his body uh, for the the thing he loves most, is the thing he's most passionate about, which is backcountry bow hunting. So this is a great episode to uh, you know put some headphones on and lace up the running shoes and um, have some motivation while you're out there on the trail or whether you're in the weight room or whatever. Um, this is an awesome episode to kind of get you motivated to get out there and, and stay in great backcountry shape or get in backcountry shape. So pay attention. I know there's a lot you can get from this episode. Uh, I know I did. So looking forward to sharing it with you guys and uh, let's just jump right in and get to it. Welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. Uh, I'm here with my guest today, Brian Barney. Um, and if you've done any poking around or you know researching into the world of Western hunting, you've probably heard of Brian. Um, he's the host of Eastman's Elevated podcast, uh, which is a great podcast, tons of great information on there. And he's got some really killer video content out on uh, TV and with uh, Eastman's also on YouTube. And um, Brian's just one of these guys that has been a huge inspiration to me uh, in my journey into Western backcountry hunting. Uh, he just epitomizes a solid backcountry hunter. Um, he's super passionate about it, full of energy. Uh, he trains hard physically and mentally and puts a ton of effort and thought into his hunting, but also his life um, as, as well. So 
He's probably one of the best backcountry bow hunters alive today. I'll go ahead and say it. So I'm super excited to just talk to Brian a little bit, learn from him a little bit, and uh, and get to know him a little bit. So Brian, thanks for your time, man. Thanks for being here. Oh man, thanks, Hunter. That's quite an introduction. Thanks so much for the compliment. I I really appreciate it. Uh, it it's something that I absolutely love and put everything into. But yeah, to to have the respect of my peers like that. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And congratulations on on your podcast and all your success too. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Um, so I've been I've been actually like you know I follow you on Instagram and stuff. I've been seeing some of these uh, runs you've been doing out there. It's pretty cold out there, huh? Oh, it's bitter cold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got some cold come in. Like, the winter's been really mild. Like, I've been uh, fly fishing most of the winter and getting in these real enjoyable runs up in the mountains. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Old Man Winter showed up, and we got some of this 20, 30, 40 below with the wind chill. Um, but, yeah, that's, you know, it's 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 part of my, my, my ethos as far as a backcountry hunter is to, to make sure that I'm disciplined and getting in these runs. So these runs, you know, I don't know if they're physically benefiting me or if I'm getting much <laughs> of a base out of them. But what they are doing is they just sharpen me mentally. Like they're oh, just yeah. uh, to be able to get out the door. And then I... I just hate running in a foot of snow. It takes so much exertion. Mm. So it's like this this mental side of me that doesn't want to go out in it, doesn't want to go run in the snow. Like, it's not as much fun. I can't cover as many miles. I can't go as fast. But I just try to embrace that mental grind because I know that that mental fortitude and that mental toughness, like, like that'll come into play coming hunting, come hunting season. It does oh, yeah. every year. So, yeah, just always trying to build that, that little bit of edge and, and do – you know what what most guys aren't willing to do i'm i just uh willing to sacrifice more to be uh at my very best yeah that's that's awesome and that's such a huge part of it too the mental side and i definitely want to get into that a little bit um but yeah we i'm in virginia man you're in montana is that right yep okay so yeah we're in virginia and um and we don't get that much snow and it's been raining for about two weeks solid here but which is also you know you don't really feel like lacing them up when it's cold and rainy but yeah, you know, it's that same thing. Like rain is no fun to run in as well. It's just those conditions that, um, you know, that we don't want to go outside in. But really, like the toughest deal about it is just convincing ourselves and getting out the door. And, yeah. you know, I've been running for for 20 years and it's all to train to be a better backcountry bow hunter. Like, um, but 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 through that, like um I still have to convince myself to get out, even doing it dang near every day, 365, 20 years, like it's part of my life. But I still, I got to convince myself to lace up the shoes and get out there and get out for a run. And so I'm fighting that same mental battle that everybody else fights. I just don't allow myself to cave on it. Like I, I, yeah. uh, I make myself get out there. I get in those runs. And um, like I say, sometimes it's a, uh, uh, more detriment than good, I think, being out in that cold. But yeah, I think it does give me a mental edge come season for sure. Yeah. And do you mix in any like high intensity type training too, like uh, sprints or anything like that? Like, because um, I know the the long running is great for mental and and for your like endurance. But do you mix in high intensity stuff too, or? Um. You know, I'll push my pace on runs. So, like, if I've got a short one, like, my intensity level will be really high and I'll, I'll run for times. And when I force my body to run that that fast pace, it puts an exertion on me. And so I get yeah. a really good workout. So I do that. I do um, hill sprints 
which are pretty much like like run up 100 feet of elevation or whatever it is, 300 feet of elevation, and then jog down, and I'll do that multiple times. I don't do much of the, the actual sprinting. Like as close as I get to sprinting is like turning it on for the last little bit of a run or like a timed mile, I'll do sprints. But I, I don't do any of the real short things. And, and just because I am trying to build for the mountains and build for endurance that I I don't have to do a lot of that like fast twitch muscle fiber let like those explosive yeah. moves like they don't really benefit me in the hunting woods so I don't do a lot of those explosive moves but I I, I do lifting and and do um you know different um like uh 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 mix match of training like whether that's on the pull-up bar whether that's doing burpees or jump ropes or whatever it is to get my heart rate up but I don't do a lot of sprints per se yeah yeah I've been doing like CrossFit for a while now and see I you know I'm on a coastal plane man so it's really hard to train for the mountains you know you got to get creative with it with the box step ups and the you know that kind of stuff but uh or tire pulls that's a good one but um yeah, I wish we had the mountains around here, but it's just it's no matter what you do, it's it's not the same as the heavy packing going up a hill. It's just not. Well, I mean, that's kind of the deal with the mountains is like the best way to train for the endeavor that you want to be good at is to do the endeavor you want to be good yeah. at. So like if you're training for the mountains, you're right. There's no substitute for having a pack on and being in the mountains. And so like the deal is, is like mountain hunting. It's tough because you want your training to be tougher than the endeavor that you're training for. You you want to... Um, uh, cry in training and laugh in battle is like one of my favorite sayings, you nice. know, is, is that you really want to put it all out there in your training. And so when you get to that endeavor, like you've been there before, you've been in that deep water. So the problem is, is the training for our backcountry hunting, like a, a seven to 10 day backcountry hunt at high elevation. Like, dude, it's tougher than any marathon or any ultra marathon I've ever mm-hmm. ran. Like it's, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day of exertion and, and climbing thousands of feet of elevation and and hundreds of miles and so that's tough to to replicate in the training world and so you know that's where I found trail running is the best for me is because I actually get to the mountains I'm doing the elevation I'm climbing up and down uh, I'm running backcountry trails like I'm in the woods but the deal with running is that I can put a higher level exert of exertion on myself in a shorter amount of time so like a four-hour backpack you know I can get that workout in and say an hour and these aren't exact metrics or anything like I'm just just the way I think about it but through my pace like uh the mountains is all about pace and the faster your pace is the more exertion it puts on you so this trail running has just been the perfect mix for me but then I also you know I want to mix in bonsai scouting trips uh, I want to mix on, mix in time with my pack on my back, getting my back used to that load on my back. So, like, I can't just do trail running. I can't, you know, just do CrossFit. Like, I, like, I, I need to get that that pack on my back and and do that actual backpack hunting. And so that's like during hunting season, during spring bear, during summer times when I'm scouting for high country mule deer. That's when I get those trips in. Yeah, man, yeah, that's good, man. Um. So before we, I want to maybe talk a little bit more about that kind of stuff, but, um, I did just want to hear, man, like how was your, how was your hunting season this year? Oh man, it was an insane hunting season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I just got a, 
you know, I've structured my life in a way where I get a bunch of time to hunt now. And I, I don't know, I didn't count up my days last year or how many days I was in a field, but I'm sure it was, it was well over a hundred. And I had a bunch of a great adventures plan. Like it's part of the great thing about like our conservation model is that like an average carpenter like me can apply for these tags and put in all over the United States, all over uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and, and really travel all over the world, you know, using this blue collar bow hunting method that I use where I go on inexpensive hunts. I'm self-guided. I, I do all the research myself. I do all the scouting myself and then all the hunting. And so, man, I just had this amazing season from start to finish where, um, Man, I had a few mule deer tags in my pocket. I had a couple elk tags um, and, and just able to go to the wildest places in the lower 48 and, and then able to to push and really challenge myself physically and mentally and, and come out on top on the majority of these hunts and able to kill my biggest bull to date, which is a, nice. a, a huge feat for me. I've been chasing you know this bull for 20 years and, and I've killed a lot of nice six points along the way. But this one was just extra special. He just had it all. He had big mass, uh, uh, width, um, great time length. And then, you know, to be able to really be on another level as far as my stocking and capitalizing on opportunities. And, you know, the the bull I shot before this one, uh, I was on for three, four days. This bull that I shot, I was on for two days, really waiting for my right all-in moment to then creep into range and then execute a perfect shot and put a perfect arrow in that bull and watch him go over the hill and know that he was going to be expired. Um, you know, That's that was awesome. kind of the, the pinnacle of my season right there. Um, but yeah, a lot of nice critters, uh, a lot of really cool adventures, uh, able to spend quality time with family and friends. So man, I mean, I... I just can't complain. It it was it was probably one of my better seasons to date, and a lot of that is just like having the time. I yeah. you know as a as a young man and being a carpenter, I, a lot of my hunting was weekend warrior. You know where I just have the weekends and I'd have to work construction during the week and and through these years and you know building this podcast and the filming and things of that nature, uh, I've created some other income sources where. You know, I'm not a rich man uh, as far as as money in the bank, but what I, you know, I've got financial security and then I've got the freedom to be able to take seven to 10 days for these different adventures and go on them and have my mind clear and not be stressing about family or stressing about work and really put my everything into these hunts. So, dude, it was just super enjoyable. That's awesome, man. And the the sense of satisfaction, like I love the style that you're talking about, the self-guided, you know, public land, do it yourself, like, because the sense of satisfaction you get from that is just so much greater than, you know, if you go to a ranch. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to a, a place or hiring a guide or whatever. I'm not knocking that, but just the sense of satisfaction of really just doing it yourself kind of the hard way is just, it's awesome. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely different ways to go about it. And and even the private land deal is like just getting on good property, you know, to find that epic hunting and trying to capitalize. So, yeah, I don't I don't knock it either. I um, but it, it's just it hasn't been in my tax bracket to be able to pay to go to big ranches yeah. or to be able to pay to go to these spots. So like like I'm forced to I'm not forced like I enjoy it. But yeah, I mean, there there is. 
it is on another level to be able to go out on public land with everybody else. And especially nowadays with so many guys going so hard to be able to go there and and then like solve the puzzle yourself, figure out where game animals are and, and um, you know, put the pieces of the puzzles together and then be able to create an opportunity and then capitalize on it. Dude, I think it's the, the highest of highs, the highest degree of difficulty. And it's why it takes, you know, year round training and why it takes running in 20 degree cold. You just like you got to be ready for all those challenges you're going to face out there. So I I definitely think that it is the toughest challenge and and the tougher the challenge, you know, the the better the reward at the end. And so, man, I just absolutely love it. And, And going back to it, a guy might have more into these hunts than a guy that pays for a ranch. I mean, you pay a ranch or you pay a guide, you're paying a, that guide to to know that country and to do your scouting for you and to put you into game animals, and then the pressure's on you to capitalize. Um, but this public land game, like, um, you know, you have to choose a unit, you have to scout a unit, and not all these units are quality. And so, like, traveling to these other states, like, a lot of times I take chances on units and I'll have a thousand to two thousand dollars into a hunt and it'll be an absolute bust the critters Mm. aren't there i struck out now i've got to find a different place to hunt or even the places that i do hunt that i proficient like where i killed my bull this year you know i've spent seven seasons in there of spending you know anywhere from 10 to 20 days a season i mean you add that up that's 140 days in the field now you talk to somebody that paid a a ranch or paid a guy like I don't know that they took 140 days off work I don't know that they put yeah. seven years of scouting and hunting into this and and so like I I really you know I don't know if we're coming out better as public land hunters or do-it-yourself <laughs> hunters but but it definitely is like like the rewards it it, it's definitely satisfying to do it on your own and come out successful. It just doesn't happen every year. It's a multi-year process, and we have to put a lot yeah. into it. No, I agree, man. So what state did you kill your, your big bull in? So I killed um, – I, I try not to give states and units so much, but my big bull did come from my home state of Montana. Okay. Can you share the story with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, these hunts, they – they never go as planned. Like I, I uh, lay out e-scouting and plans for the season and where I'm going to find elk and how I'm going to capitalize. But then I get there and it's just always tougher. Or it's always different. So mm, yep. this was a, a Montana tag I had. Um, I actually hunted a different state prior to this and I harvested a really good mountain bowl. Uh, he's like a really good 330 bowl, heavy, uh, great main beams, great tines. And my goal for the year was just to harvest one bowl. And um, so I harvested this good bull, but I still had my Montana tag in my pocket. And I had a couple of my good buddies that have been coming out and staying with me and hunting with me. And so I had a couple good buddies from Hawaii that had drawn this um, premium tag this year, the same premium tag that I had. So it, it wasn't an over-the-counter. For us residents, like I've drawn it pretty much every year I've put in. But for non-residents, it takes two or three seasons to draw it. So mm-hmm. these guys had drawn this hunt with me this year. And so I was super excited to go out with them, but I just had the goal in mind that, you know, I didn't need to shoot a bowl. I wanted to help those guys be successful. And, um, you know, in the end, if I saw a bowl of my dreams, I would go chase them and go try to hunt them. But, you know, I, I wasn't as hungry to get a kill, but we started hunting the, these areas and I started heat checking all these spots that have been good to me in years past. And, and, um, you know, this, this area that I hunt, um, you know, it's got a, it's got a lot of elk in it, but it's almost like, um, you know, 
there, there's 300 square miles and the it's all good elk habitat. And so you can't really pinpoint where the elk are going to be. And every year the conditions are different, whether that's a drier year, a wetter year, um, you know, the, is it going to snow early? You know, whatever the, all these factors are that affect where these elk end up and where they like to be. But anyways, to get to it, like, um, I got on these hunt with these guys and started heat checking these spots. And by heat checking, I'll hike multiple miles into these drainages. And, and I'm trying to listen for bugles and I'm trying to locate elk. And um, gosh, I went in, I hunted the first few days and I didn't see an elk, which is really strange for me in this area. I I dive into these spots and, and um, they just weren't in there. I just wasn't mm. finding elk. I, I finally found a nice six point. And, um, I, I tailed him for a while and I was going to shoot him and, um, I tailed him all the way to his bed and then he was feeding on the edge of his cows. And I just thought, you know, this isn't the bull that I've been dreaming about. I already killed a good bull this season. Like, so, you know, I was right there where I could have stalked and killed that bull. And I ended up passing, trying to get my buddies on him, going back, finding my buddies, trying to take him back to where this bull was. It didn't work out. Um, so, you know, I, I passed this bull and I finally started to get into him, but I, um, I had to go explore new country. And so even though I've hunted this place for seven years and have a vast knowledge of this place, like I started to go to these places that I had e-scouted that I had gone, God, I always want to get into this spot. And since I wasn't finding elk in my normal spots, it made perfect sense to start exploring and start learning and almost see it as an opportunity. So I haven't seen an elk for four days, like time to go to the time to learn some new spots. And so uh, I dove into this drainage that I had always wanted to get into. And um, yeah, it was it was kind of slow at first. I dove in there for an afternoon hunt and dove way down in there. There's no people in there or anything like I've got it all to myself in this big drainage. And sure enough, I locate some cows in there and I see a small five point bull and I'm just thinking it's peak of the rut. I'm thinking this can't be the bull with these cows. There's got to be a better bull. And Pretty soon, just the bull of my dreams comes up, just wide, tall, long tined, and starts rutting these cows. And I thought, boy, that's that's a bull. If I could shoot that bull, he'd be my biggest bull to date. Like, um, that's a bull I want to kill. And so um, I had time that evening. But the way the winds were and the approach on these elk and where they were at, I tried a couple different approaches and got to about 100 yards or so, and then I'd end up backing out and trying a different way in. There just wasn't a way into range of these elk that night, and so I was real patient and just decided, you know, I'm not going to blow this up until it's right. There's 20 cows in there. I think there was two satellite bowls, another spike, and then this big bowl. And so I ended up leaving them that night, hiking all the way out. It t- I didn't get out till 11, 12 at night. I was way mm. back in there and um, met up with my buddies and said, hey, I got a good bowl. They had a good bowl located. And so I said, I'm going to go back in in the morning and try to kill this bowl and went back in in the morning and, and the bowl hadn't gone far because I hadn't spooked him. And so he was kind of down in the bottom and just feeding down there with some cows. And I, I was just... um. You know, these elk, I like to kind of coyote them to their beds or coyote the herd, which is just like stay with the herd, shadow the herd until I see that right opportunity to close in and and seal the deal, especially with so many eyes. So that morning, I just kind of sat and watched them and kind of moved with them at a distance of maybe like 300 yards away, keeping my wind right. And they finally, like I was thinking I was going to follow him all the way to his bed, maybe get a play in his bed, might have to wait till the evening till he comes out. I was just going to play it patient, but they went around this corner and I had the wind right. And right then and there, I saw my opportunity to close the deal. And 
So I started jogging to make that ridge. I was out of sight of the elk and come up to the top of the ridge and I come over top and all the elk are right down there below me and I can see a cow and then, you know, I hear this bull bugle and, and anybody that's hunted elk with a bow, it's about the most thrilling animal you can hunt with a bow and arrow, just with the bugling and the rut activity. And then, you know, you got this 700 pound animal with, you know, five feet of horns above his head and it's, you know, it's my dream bull. It's the bull I've been chasing for 20 years on public ground, you know? And so he's right down below me and, and just that experience took over and able to kind of creep to the edge and wait for my opportunity. And he stepped out on a ridge and stopped and let a bugle. And man, I was able to draw back and just put a perfect arrow into him. And instantly, you know, I hit him good, got a pass through and that blood just started boiling out of him. And, um, I I knew I had him at that point, but he went over the ridge and that bull just had too much pride to die in sight. So he, (laughs) he made it over top the ridge and, um, kind of disappeared from my sight. So I gave him some time and then, um, gave him an hour and came above him and then glassed down and he just made it over top the ridge and then had had toppled over and, and fell right there. And he actually, he buried his horns in the mud and was kind of laying on his horns. And so, uh, you know, being solo, like I, I wasn't sure if they busted any tines or I had a heck of a time getting them out of the mud. I had to excavate out just to try to get a photo of them. And then, um, it was a warm day. So it's like grab a few photos, but then man, I had to get to work, uh, butchering that thing by myself and um, getting them in the shade and hung up because it was a warm day and then and then packing them out. And um, so I, I got them. And, and the funny thing is, is my buddies from Hawaii killed a bull the same day. Oh, so no the way. bull they were after, they killed a bull. So they were tied up packing out that bull. And I said, well, you guys worry about your bull. I'll worry about mine. You know, so I didn't have any help on the pack out. And I was wow. thinking, man, oh, man, like, um, you know, it's going to get 80 degrees today. So the the lucky thing was, is he died in the shade. And so I was able to butcher him and get him all processed and then get him in the meat bags and hung up, uh, in the shade and get air around him. And so then I wasn't too concerned about things, but I had killed this bull so far away from my truck that, that, um, I didn't want to go back the way I'd came and the way I hunted this bull. Uh, there was actually a road that was within a couple miles in the other direction. And so I made the the um, decision that I was going to hike up to this road and then hike back to my truck. And so I got back to the road with one load, a heavy load, 100 plus pounds, hung wow. that in the shade after I was on the road, figured I'd drive and pick that up and then come to this access point. So, you know, and it cut so many miles off packing this bull out to where my truck was. So, yeah, I pretty much got one load out and then... Um, you know, that's where all that running skill comes into effect. So I've been hunting this bull for a couple days. I mean, I had to start at four in the morning to make it where he was at. So, you know, I'm already pretty tired, but I had to, um, ditch my pack, ditch the elk meat, hit the road and then start jogging to go get my truck. And Mm. my truck was a little bit farther than I had figured. I had about (laughs) like probably over a half marathon, like probably like 15 Ooh. miles to my truck. And oh so my gosh. I just dropped my stuff and I just started jogging with what I had on me. And, and, um, I got to the T of the main road. So I'm on a skitter road going up and man, I just don't like asking for help or I don't like, I like to do it on my own. And so like I was just jogging and pretty soon I see a truck on the main road. And so they're at the T and I'm on the skitter road jogging up to it. So I don't flag anybody down. I don't wave to anybody. I just kind of keep my head down and keep jogging and just figure I'm going to make it to my truck and I'm going to get this bowl out. And 
the guy saw me jogging from the truck and thought like maybe I was in danger or, you know, something was wrong and really nice guys. Like they backed up their truck, waited for me to jog to the main road and they said, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I killed a bull down at this bottom. I'm trying to make it to my truck. And, and they said, well, gosh, we'll give you a ride to your truck. And I said, gosh, guys, that's really nice. Yeah. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It really (laughs) helps me out. So I jumped in the back of the truck and man, we drove for miles. We passed trucks and we passed camps. And every time we'd pass a truck or a camp, they'd point to it and I'd go, no, keep going, keep going. You know, and then they just couldn't believe that I had hiked from where my truck was, but they got me to my truck and asked me if I needed help. And of course I told them no. I said, no, I got a couple buddies in town. I said, no, I'll get this bull out. But they were just adamant about going with me and would not take no for an answer. And so, you know, finally I made these couple brand new friends in the mountain range and they were like, after, you know, they didn't know about my podcast or know me or know anything. A lot of times I'll run into guys and they'll recognize me, but they were just nice guys and they were rifle hunters, you know, switched over to bow hunters and they like couldn't figure out how to get close to these elk or how it even worked. And so they started picking my brain after I'd killed this bull. You know, how'd you get close? What's your theory on this? And so I just started talking and pretty soon they said, God, we just like to go in with you and help you get this bull out and, you know, just learn from from you and your success. And I said, well, you know, finally, uh, finally, I, I said yes. And so they, you know, followed my truck back. We parked in the spot and two new friends that I just met in the mountains climbed down in there with me and helped me pack that bull out. And we packed him back to the truck and like um, exchanged numbers or whatever. Just super nice guys. But um, yeah, that that's kind of the story of the bull. Man, that's that's a great story. <laughs> um yeah, and definitely highlights the importance of training. I mean, uh, you're hiking in, packing out a bull, and trying to run a half marathon all in one day. That's pretty epic, man. Well, and um, to be honest, I was a little selfish and wanted to get that bull out by myself just for the um, <laughs> just for the story. And like, um, yeah, I killed the bull and I packed them all out myself, and I did this rub. But um, like I say, those are really nice guys. And yeah. when it comes down to, to elk me and preserving it and making sure it doesn't go bad, like I was really thankful that I ran into such nice guys that wouldn't take no for an answer and were just adamant about helping me. And they were um, yeah. they were two like uh, retired sheriffs or retired uh, police officers. And, and they, they understood that mentality that I had where I don't ask for help and I don't want help. And, you know, they, they knew it all too well and they knew the game I was playing. And so, you know, they just wouldn't take no for an answer and they helped me out. And to be honest, I did need the help. Like I had a bull down a couple miles way down in this drainage. It was going to be a hot day. So I was able to get the elk meat back and in a cooler and get it chilled. So those guys, they were really a huge help and really nice guys. So yeah, man, it was just awesome. But yeah, that's why you got to train so hard. Like it isn't just killing the animal. It's like, that's like, that's just the beginning. Then you got to get that animal out of there. And I, I, uh, my first hunt of the year that I did with my good buddy, um, Dan Heverin, we did like a, a, a high country mule deer hunt. It was in Nevada. Like I just tell you the state, but we were there. It was an early season hunt, August 10th. And, um, I ended up killing this buck on the end of a backpacking trip where we just put on a tremendous amount of miles. It was like a three, four day backpack trip. It was actually our second backpack trip of the hunt. And, um, I end up killing this buck, but we had to wait for him to stand in two hours of direct sunlight in mm. 80 to 90 degree heat. And, um, I mean, and we, 
we were that that morning we had to come out and end our backpacking trip because we were out of water. Like you have to pack water three thousand feet up this mountainside Jeez. to hunt this ridge line, and there's no water up there. And so that morning we were down. I was down to my last sixteen ounces. I think Dan had closer to thirty two ounces for the day. And uh, we were just going to hunt the morning and come out and we found this buck and I end up killing this buck and I kill him in the afternoon. And by the time I killed this buck, like me and Dan are pretty well dehydrated. We're out of water uh, and and had heat exertion going. Like, I mean, we were on the edge of it. Like we were really pushing that limit. And I ended up killing that buck. And I ended up butchering them and hanging them in the shade so we didn't have to climb them to the top of the mountain and over the backside of the truck. Again, this is like so many miles back to the truck that um, I just process this deer. I hang him up in the shade. I know he's going to be okay. And then me and Dan have to get ourselves out of there. And, and, and really, we were pushing the limit. It brought me back to my old wrestling days as far as like just wanting water so bad. But we left the buck, got back to our trucks, had them hanging in the shade. And then we ended up driving around the next morning at daybreak. I went up, uh, actually retrieved the buck by myself because Dan was watching a really good buck. He was trying to get a stock on that morning. So, yeah, got the buck all out of country. But, yeah, I mean, that's the deal, man. That's why we train so hard is it's not always like the killing the animal that's going to be tough. It's like once yeah. you get them down, you you have a responsibility to, to get all that meat out and, yeah. and to um, – you know, it's like it's it's part of like appreciating the trophy in itself. So, yeah, man, I mean that my physical fitness and my training, you know, years ago, people didn't see the importance of it or maybe didn't realize or I was almost weird for running to get ready for hunting season. It just yeah. didn't put two and two together. And guys like Cameron Haynes that have changed the perception of hunting and changed it from this. Like, um, you know, it was kind of seen as this like a redneck endeavor or whatever. And they've kind of right. changed it to where, you know, we're seen as athletes now. And, and, you know, at least I think of myself that way. And I train that way and treat my body that way because it, it really does. If you want that next level success, it, it's it's improving every facet of your game. And physical fitness is a huge component of that. Absolutely, man. And yeah, I. It's it's been like this this past year or two has been like a rebirth for me because I grew up hunting, but you know I'm from the east, so we're you know sitting in tree stands, and like you said, it's it's seen as kind of this good old boy. Like I've said in my intro episode, like you know the perception of like an overweight dude like drinking a beer, and smoking a cig on the tree <laughs> stand, you know. <laughs> but it's like when I my eyes were open to like guys like you and and you know just other folks that are out there out west doing, it, I'm like, whoa, these dudes are like they're on a whole nother level. Like they're talking about mental toughness, they're training, they're like eating right. Like what? Like this and hunting? Like I couldn't even like, I was like, this is amazing, you know? Um, so that's so cool, man. And um, like I said, it just, it just opened up a whole new world for me. And gosh, I, um, I've been on this journey, like this last two years, I've lost 75 pounds and like, just got like super healthy and it all started, well, not all of it, but this last kind of portion of it started with my buddy inviting me to go to Alaska. And I was like, dude, I got to get in shape for this. And it just like, then I started listening to podcasts. I, you know, learned about guys like you and I just started like going for it, man. And it's been an awesome ride. Man, that's incredible, Hunter. I had no idea. So yeah, like we're just meeting each other and connecting now, but man, that is amazing. What, what discipline and dedication. I think that that weight loss is one of the toughest things out there is it takes like, um, 
it takes such a discipline and dedication and then to be calorie deficient day in day out to lose yeah. that weight like you lose uh, uh energy and drive and you have to retrain your body mm. i just think that's such a, a a tough endeavor you should be so proud of yourself and it's so great that like backcountry hunting was the the motivation behind it or at least some of the motivation behind it is to get in shape so you could do that alaska hunt but man that's just amazing 75 pounds god you gotta feel great now huh oh yeah yeah i was in 2018 i was 250 pounds and i'm like six foot and now i'm down to like 175 and like stronger than i've ever been and um yeah what really started was i was embarrassed to take my shirt off in front of my own wife <laughs> i started getting to the gym but then when i you know when i um when my buddy invited me to alaska and i was like i started looking at the realities of like what this trip is gonna be like i was like dude i gotta like get serious so i started really watching what I was eating and yeah, it's just been, um, it's just been amazing. So, um, and you know, you guys like you guys and Lampers and, um, you know, Dan Staten have all been huge inspirations and just like, I've learned so much from you guys. So it's cool being able to talk to you now. Man, that is so cool. Yeah. Those are such great guys. I, I draw inspiration from them as well. Um, but man, that is just amazing. What, what, uh, dedication and lifestyle change and, um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't happen all at once. Like that weight goes on really slowly, but then it comes off really slowly. And so yeah. like it, it takes, it takes like this, this, this dedication to it. Like it's not just a day of hard work, a week of hard work, a month of hard work. You know, it's years in the making of being able to do that and making these lifestyle changes. And yeah, like, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it like a like a like a drug addict can give it up cold turkey and and get away from drugs. Not that that's easy or anything, but the comparison to food is like we all still have to eat. You know, we yeah. we oh, all yeah. still have to indulge in these calories and and to be able to do it. Um, you know, and, and, and make those changes, you know, to like a, like a food addiction. And I find like, I'm, I'm skinny and in good health. I still like nutrition is just a, a major challenge, like to make mm -hmm. the right decisions all the time. Like it just takes like this delayed gratification and knowing that, you know, you're, you're, you're achieving your goals and getting to where you want, or, you know, you can be a more efficient, better backcountry hunter, whatever the case is. But yeah, that's really impressive hunter. Yeah, man. You, you mentioned addiction too. I actually, I have a history of addiction too. I was, uh, yeah, I was a drug addict for like 10 years and I've been five years clean now. So that's been a part of my journey too. But like, and you mentioned like the, just the consistency and it reminds me like, uh, like I related to like trajectory of like a rifle. I know you're a bow guy, but you know, if you're shooting at 50 yards and you shoot a three inch group, you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. But you back that out to a hundred, 500, a thousand yards, that three inch group is going to become like a five foot group when you get out to a thousand yards. So it's like these little incremental changes that might seem minor in the day to day, you keep putting in that discipline, keep putting in that consistency. And over the long run, it just, it changes everything. Oh, wow. Uh, great analogy. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, man. So, um, so you're, you know, you, like I said, I think people can probably tell you're super positive, like high energy, high motivated guy. And, um, yeah, I just want to know, like, have you ever, have you ever just gotten down on one of these hunts or, or gave up early or come home early? Like I know this year I did my first solo hunt in the mountains. Um, you know, which is not a big deal for some people, but it, you know, your first one is it's, it's a new experience being back there alone. And 
I did actually end up going home like a day early, just wasn't seeing the animals. And, you know, my mind started saying, hey, you know, you need to spend time with your family, get home, whatever. So um wasn't a big deal, but um, I left a day early. But I kind of felt like, ah, I wish I had stayed, you know. Have you ever given up early or felt like it or wanted to? Yeah, so it's like been an evolution um, throughout the years of building my mental toughness and fortitude on these backcountry hunts. And, and, you know, the reality of it is, is like these hunts run at, you know, some of these hunts I do run at 3%, 6% success rate. I mean, even the better ones run at, you know, 10, 15 years success rate. And you break that out, uh, you know, into into years or whatever. That's like being successful once in every 10 years. And so the challenge in the endeavor is so difficult. Um, so so failure is just part of it. I mean, um, I fail on stocks. I fail on shots. Uh, I fail on hunts like it, it. It's just part of it. But, you know, through this evolution, just like you, like um, going on this solo hunt, which which was this big endeavor. And, and it is a big deal, man. I mean, to be by yourself and alone with your own thoughts and and the world like the backcountry world isn't nerfed. It isn't as safe as your everyday life. Like yeah. your your safety and your life is in your hands, whether that's storms or grizzly bears or, you know, uh, or just the dangers of uh, uh, trekking too far, or taking a spill or whatever it is, it's in the forefront of your mind. And so, like, I've definitely quit early. I've definitely gone home early. But through that, just like you did, like, I beat myself up over it. Like, I, I, I get home or I get to the truck and the one thing I can think about is being back in the mountains, you know, it's like, God, why did I give in early? Why <laughs> yeah. didn't I give it this extra push? Yeah. Why didn't I just give it one more day? And so, like, I beat myself up over it. And so throughout the years, you know, I've just learned that um, it, it's actually less painful to stay in there my whole time <laughs> and give it my all than it is to go home and beat myself up over it for the next yeah. week or maybe even possibly the next year. And so through this evolution, I've just learned to give it my absolute all. But, man, I get down. I like um, there's so many challenges you face backcountry hunting. I mean, you can go hike 15 miles in and go do two 13,000 foot foot peaks and get to the top and there's a tent over there and there's guys hunting that area (laughs) you know or you do all this exertion and you get out over there and you find out that you're e-scouting you know e-scouting isn't a perfect science it's defined like zones that have a high probability of animals but sometimes i'll cover all these miles and i won't find an animal and so like like my my mental side of my game has been an evolution as well of you know, knowing that I'm going to face challenges on these hunts, preparing myself for them, and, and then just seeing them through. And if I don't harvest an animal, that's fine. But the one thing I am going to do it is give it my absolute all on this mountain and on this hunt. And and then I know I can I can hold my head high at the end of the year or at the end of this hunt or when I do come out, when I do have a, a hard stop deadline where I've got to get home or I've got something else going like like there there is a time that eventually you have to throw in the towel or sure. eventually you have to to quit. And, you know, that being said, too, like there's all this talk about never quit, never die, always give it your all, you know, and I preach a lot of that like I'm part of the problem. But <laughs> like um, there is a time to quit. 
So, like, when I'm in the mountains and I'm not finding game animals, you know, maybe I'm not going to quit and go home, but I have to quit this area because this area isn't going to pan out. I have got to quit this spot and I've got to go out and I've got to go hike into a different spot. Like, there's a time to know when, hey, this isn't working. Like, I've got to figure out something else. And and so, you know, there there is a time to quit uh, and you just have to be sensible about it. But, yeah, through the years and through the evolution, like, I've... I, I've uh, uh, realized or I've I've recognized how I can uh, attack these hunts. I can give them my all, come out with my my head held high, whether I'm successful or unsuccessful. Like I, I I've just trained myself in that way. But for sure, yeah. man, in the beginning, I've quit early. I've come home early. I mean, any way that there is to to mess up a hunt, to fail a <laughs> shot, to fail a stock, to uh, to uh, quit early, like I've done it all, man. I've just had yeah. to learn from it and get better and improve, and that's what's built me into the the hunter I am today. Where now a lot of these hunts that I go on, I mean, you know, I I, I run a ninety to hundred percent success rate on these hunts. The mm. only hunt I did not fill out this year was uh, uh, an antelope tag. And uh, okay. I've actually gone like the last 14 years in a row filling an antelope tag spot and stock with my bow. So it's not something that's beyond my skills or my ability. My problem this year was just my time. I had all these backcountry hunts planned that were stacking up back to back to back. And then, you know, a buddy drew a good elk tag. And so I told him I'd give him 10 days for his elk tag. You know, a lot of my success comes in making my friends and family around me better. And um, so I had all these hunts planned back to back to back. And my plan was to hunt antelope in the days off when I would come home. But then I come home and, you know, my family is so important to me. So it's like spending that quality time with my wife and my daughters and making sure I'm making their volleyball games and their basketball games and making sure that I'm being a good father and a good husband that that really I just didn't give myself time in the antelope woods. Like I had maybe a, a couple full days and a couple half days and, you know, I just didn't give myself the time to be successful. But, you know, through the through the years of doing this, like I've I built a good success rate. And a lot of that is just like um, just, you know, it, it's always tough when I get there. And, and sometimes I think it's not going to come together, but it's just amazing how you keep putting forth the effort, maximum effort, keep putting the miles, keep looking for that game animal, keep trying to create this opportunity where eventually it just comes to fruition. Like it happens. Like all yeah. of a sudden I find the buck that I want or I find the bull that I want. And I built my skill sets as far as stalking and shooting where I know I can rely upon them and I'm proficient that, that it just comes together and I make it happen. And sometimes I, sometimes I even surprise myself. (laughs) Yeah, man, you said a lot of good stuff in there. And, um, you know, a lot, like, especially these days, you know, people want to, they want everything right now, you know, and, um, this is like you said, this is such a tough endeavor. Like it just takes some time. It takes some screw ups, you know, to learn, like, um, that's, you know, I recommend guys like, especially guys out East, you know, hit some public land in your home state first, you know, like go on a three day mountain trip in Virginia or wherever you may be. And then, and then kind of build up to it. Um, cause you know, if people are listening and heard my past episodes, like I made every mistake in the book, uh, on my first one, but I'm glad, you know, I got some stuff out in the beginning. Um, and you got to just kind of go through that to learn, like you were saying, like, and then on this Alaska trip, we did kind of a lot of stuff you were saying too. like, uh, the first area we went into, we were back there like seven miles, like did some intense, like side hilling and, uh, really tough to get back in there. 
And then we, we got back in there, back in there for three and a half days, didn't see a living creature. I mean, there was sign everywhere, but the herd had just moved on. And so it was tough. We decided, hey, we got to go to this, a new area. And we go to a new area. Um, and that was some public ground that was not in a controlled use area. And so same thing. We, you know, we get back there seven, eight miles, like tough miles. And then, uh, you know, you look over your shoulder and there's a dude on an ATV, like right there, <laughs> you know. It was just so disheartening, man. But we ended up having a good a good time out there. But um, you just got to get through that stuff. But you mentioned antelope. And I, I want to talk a little bit about antelope with you because um, I know you love antelope hunting and you're, you're a good antelope hunter. So, w- like, what, what do you love about an- antelope hunting so much? Yeah, so, um, man, uh, antelope hunting is just fire. So antelope is this unique species. And the American antelope actually isn't related to any other species. It's not related to deer. It's not related to the antelope of Africa. It's its own branch of the tree. And the American antelope evolved uh, from thousands of years, and its main predator was the American cheetah that is now extinct. And that's why antelope can run so fast is because their main predator was the American cheetah that lived out on our prairies. And and um, so, so these antelope have evolved to have really good eyesight. Uh, the best. Uh, they have like, uh, I've heard them compared to 8X or 10X binoculars, hmm. um, but they're just, um, they're a real wary animal. And and so, you know, these antelope, they live out on the open prairies. They rely upon their eyesight to keep them safe. And then, um, you know, they, they have these incredible, uh, these horns that they shed every year, these sheaths that are built out of these black horns. And so, um, you know, the, the antelope are a real challenge to get close to, and it, it's really where I got the appreciation from them. So, like, um, they're they're fun to hunt with a rifle, and it's kind of a long-range game. It's open country, and antelope pick you out with a rifle. And I tried that when I first moved to Montana, but I fell in love with archery hunting and getting close, and that's really where I fell in love with antelope is I started hunting them with a bow, and I just realized, like, how extremely difficult these antelope were to get close to in this open country. And so like, I'm all about the challenge. And so once I saw that it was really difficult, when I started hunting antelope with a bow, nobody was spotting stock in these things. Mm. Like it, it was known as almost impossible. Like I would be the <laughs> only person out in these units trying this. Everybody said you had to go to a water hole or you had to sit a blind. And I, I just felt like if I could spot and stalk these animals, I could spot and stalk any animals out there. And so the fun of antelope for me is that um, I get a ton uh, of encounters. Like instead of spending my whole season looking for an animal to stalk, I'm getting three to five stalks a day. Mm. So like, um, you know, take deer season or elk season, I may hunt for 10 days to create one, two, maybe three stalks if I'm lucky antelope i'll stalk three times in a day on antelope and so you get like this education uh uh, of what you can get away with and what you can't you get this education of spot and stalking this education of what a high percentage stock and a low percentage stock is and what i mean by that is when the antelope are in a good spot that you have a high percentage of killing that buck or if they're in a bad spot if they're in the middle of a wide open prairie like I don't care how big that buck is. I'm not going to stalk him because it's a losing endeavor and I'm going to waste my time. Like I've just learned that. And so it's taught me so many lessons.
lessons. And then it gets me into bow range early in the season. Most seasons take place August 15th. And so like I'm, I'm able to get into bow range. I'm able to have that thrill and have that excitement and, and get accustomed and used to it. So when I do get into deer elk season and I get three stocks, like I'm really good at making those happen. And partly because I've had, you know, and, and sometimes antelope, I'll get it done on my first stock or my second stock. Some years it'll take me 20 stocks. And so like, it, it just gives me such an education in bow hunting. And it's so exciting, like spending all your time hunting these antelope instead of looking for them. Like it's, yeah. it's the biggest thrill of bow hunting is being able to stalk and, and get a play and try to make something happen for me. Like that's the the most enjoyment I get out of it, and antelope is all that. So that's why that's yeah. why I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. I think this is great for our listeners too, because you know I've heard that, and through my research, I found that you know it's a great kind of way to get into the Western hunting world. You know, like you said, lots of stalks, and um, you can get on a pretty decent hunt with um, very little amount of points. You know, so um, but. My next question for you be, so this year I'm actually going back to Alaska. Me and my buddy are going to go to Kodiak and do Sitka Blacktail. And then in October, we're doing the, uh, the antelope gig. So, and I'm, you know, I'm starting to build points in like any state I can basically, you know, um, what do you think I should do next? Man, that's super smart. Like you're on a great journey. Uh, how fun to go hunt those, those blacktails, man. That'll be a super. Have you done that hunt before? No, that is the last deer I have left to complete my slam with my bow is to nice. kill a, a Cody, a Sitka blacktail. Um, nice, so I've looked into that hunt. I've always wanted to do it, man. It looks like an absolute riot. So good on you. And doing an antelope, like you're taking the right progression and the right steps. Like, man, I think you got to start looking into the deer and the elk. I think it's super smart to plan in the future and get points. Um, you know, a lot of times these... Um, these units that take a ton of points to draw, you know, the, the problem is, is building that skill level. So when you get on one of those good hunts, you can be successful. So right. even these premium units, they're not a slam dunk. You don't draw a sure. premium elk unit and go there and all the elk call in or the mule deer just waiting <laughs> to be killed there. Like, yeah. like they're still really switched on and it's really difficult. And so I think it's a matter of like building this skill set to where you can give yourself a reasonable chance of success. And I think, you know, experience is the best teacher. So I think you're going about it the right way, uh, doing this antelope hunt, doing some of the Alaska hunts and things. And now I think you branch out and you start taking on some of these mule deer and elk units. And I don't think you wait for 10 years or 15 years to pull the trigger. Like, I think just put yourself in some good units, whether that's over the counter, whether that's one to three point draws. And, um, just take on the challenge and gain that experience and realize that, you know, success rates are 10%, 20% where you may be going with a bow and arrow. But it's like a lot of this, the, like we push so hard to have the success and be able to come out on top and harvest this animal. But really like the better way to look at it is to enjoy the entire process, to enjoy the adventure, to enjoy coming from, I think Virginia, you said, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Virginia, coming from yeah. Virginia to these western states and cutting yourself loose in these mountains, in these wild wildernesses, and realize that it might be a multiple-year quest before you even take that first branch antler bull or that first big six-point bull, but realize that, you know, fall in love with the process, the training, fall in love with the process of hunting, the adventure, the 10 days of giving it your all, uh, enjoy the the process of, of, of building that 
stalking skill set, building that proficiency with your weapons, your bow, with your rifle. Like, just take pride and enjoy this entire process, and the success will come. But yeah, dude, I think you're ready. Like, put putting in that experience of those hunts, like you're ready to take on mule deer and elk. And you know, mule deer are so great because you like. Um, I mean, there is absolute super adventures in these mountains for mule deer. And the deal, like, it, when I first started hunting, I thought I wanted to be a sheep guy because. Like, um, these sheep, they live in the, the, the highest, most extreme mountain ranges and they're this beautiful animal, but I quickly realized that it's really tough to draw a tag. In fact, I've been putting in my whole lifetime and I've never drawn a sheep tag. The only sheep yeah. I've hunted is a mouflon sheep off Lanai and, and possibly an odd ad sheep this year. But as far as Rocky Mountain, Bighorn, doll sheep, stone sheep, desert sheep, I've been applying my whole entire life and doll sheep and stone sheep are just out of my tax bracket. Like it's yeah. 20 grand to go hunt grand. a doll sheep, yeah. 50 grand to go hunt a stone sheep. Like that's just out of my tax bracket. And I said, when I sell my first house, I'm going to go on a doll sheep hunt. But then I finally get that money in my account. And it's, it's, it's not responsible for me to spend that kind of money with my family. I'm just not a million dollar guy. Right. So like I quickly found that sheep is like, well, what's the, what's the lure to it? Like, why do guys like it? And it's extreme country. Well, then I started finding that these alpine mule deer, these high country mule deer, these ones that migrate from the high country to the low country, they live in the same country that sheep and goats do. They live in these, um, at the tops of the mountains in Colorado at 13,000 feet, mm. uh, Nevada, Wyoming, 11,000 feet, the most extreme conditions you can come across in the most remote and gnarliest country in the lower 48. So to be able to backpack this country, you know, they live where sheep and goats do in these alpine basins, shoots and slides, steep terrain. And so like I found this challenging country that I could go hunt and then a 200 inch mule deer Everybody that hunts wants a 200-inch mule deer, but there's not too many guys that have them. And these deer, they live in multiple units in multiple states, and and everybody can draw a tag to hunt these mule deer, but mule deer, like they have like uh, their instincts are so keen. Thousands of years from avoiding mountain lions, which are way sneakier than I can ever dream to be. They have to sneak up and jump on the back of a mule deer and kill it with their tooth and claws. Like <laughs> yeah. that's that's above my skill set. Like I, <laughs> I I haven't done that before. So maybe like you these, should try that next. <laughs> it might be coming. Uh, it's tough enough with a bow for me, yeah. but um, but these deer they have such keen instincts. So to sneak within a stone's throw of a mature mule deer like this was this great challenge. And so once I started to find these challenges i was like man screw sheep hunting you guys can have that i have mule deer and i can go hunt them in multiple places every year if i'm smart about my application strategies and i pick these remote mountain ranges and i can go there and go have this super adventure on a blue collar budget under a thousand dollars i can go have this super adventure for mule deer that'll challenge like every fiber in my being that takes training 365 and i still might come up short like Mm. um to find a challenge like that in an animal like that man i just love that that's available for everybody out there and that's mule deer you know and i love hunting all different species and all different terrains like i love the challenge of it so you know now hunting mule deer in the desert hunting mule deer in the the breaks or the foothills or the uh, badlands uh hunting deer in in during the rut or during this early season and and then same like hunting elk uh, uh during their september rut in these extreme mountain ranges like um that i've just found my love for it for hunting these animals and so 
I, I think I forgot the question because I got talking so long. But dude, yeah, it, it's, it's so good. enjoyable, man. There's yeah. there's um so many adventures to go on out west, man. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, you answered it really. I mean, um, I was I was asking like, what should you I do next? And I I think mule deer is probably the way I want to go with it. Honestly, I feel like. I don't know, just something about, I know a lot of guys go straight for the elk, but for me, I don't know, I'm, just, I'm a deer guy. I just, I really want, I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to kill an elk, but I kind of want to like wait a little bit on that one. I think I want to do mule deer next, so. Yeah, elk are so thrilling and so fun to hunt, and I absolutely love hunting elk, but if I had to pick a favorite, it'd be mule deer. I love the places they take me. Like the extreme environment, like that high country, are my yeah. absolute favorite hunts of the year, and I know I have to train like an absolute madman. I mean, I get up there, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I get to hunt Colorado again this year. In this spot I have, like I have to crest two different 13,000-foot peaks. I have to travel you know, double digit miles to get into this location, but I've never seen another hunter in there. And wow. it's the, the wildest, most extreme country back there. Um, like, um, I, like even hunting at high elevation above 13,000. And as much as I train, I live at 6,000 feet and I train upwards of 10,000 and I still, I get up there and my body feels a little funny, man. I mean, like <laughs> I get dizzy and like, um, exhaustion, like, Altitude has this way of putting this extra exertion on you, everything you do. Like, it just makes everything tougher. The climbs seem bigger because uh, you're not getting as much oxygen fueled to your muscles, and so your right. muscles fatigue quicker. Uh, you don't have the, the, the breath or the cardio endurance, and, and then... Also up at elevation, you like you you don't have um, the appetite to be able to fuel the calories that you're putting in, mm. and you're at a calorie deficit. A lot of times you're burning five to ten thousand calories a day, yeah. and you just can't take in that amount of calories. And then on top of that, like um, you don't sleep real well. Like uh, you got to get uh, acclimated to the to the to the altitude, and so like it puts like such an exertion on my body that yeah, yeah I have to train like a madman just to give myself a chance to be successful at those types of elevations. You know, to be up there and to be able to be at my best and push as hard as I do. Like man, it it just takes year round training, and so that's one of the things those extreme environments keep me training really hard. Yeah. And you said it too, man, like fall in love with the process. That's, that's so fun. Cause it's, it is, it's a, it's, you know, if you plan these hunts, it gives you something to train for something to, you know, geek out on gear and just have fun with it all year, you know, and research. So it's such a great, such a great thing. Um, such a great endeavor. And, and how cool is it that, you know, we still have these wild places like, you know, in America, in the lower 48, you know, in Colorado, you can still get somewhere where you're like, deep in you don't even see any other people like it's just it's amazing we have access to this stuff you know dude it's the absolute coolest like uh just for us average working class guys to be able to take advantage of those adventures like i, I just think it's the the coolest conservation model out there and um man i just i just feel so fortunate that these opportunities are out there and 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 they are set up and they're so difficult that um you know no matter no matter how many guys get into it, it's still like effort separates us. And so yeah. like if you're willing to put in the effort, you're able to find this amazing adventure. And it's it's like the um, the uh, modern day and age hunter is um, like, um, you know, so hunting has changed. Like I hear about the mule deer, how it used to be in the 60s and 70s. And that was the heyday. And then, you know, then elk started coming up. And I, I hear about all this 
insanely great hunting. But, you know, the reality is, is I wasn't born in those time periods. My time period is right now. And mm-hmm. I still believe like right now is the good old days of hunting. Like um, it's the information day and age where, I mean, just look at the podcast we're putting together. Like there's so much information out there to improve our skill sets that when I started, you know, there wasn't any information about high country mule deer. There wasn't very many guys, if any, that were even doing it. There weren't, yeah. there weren't any guys that were spot and stocking antelope. And, you know, all I could get were books or magazine articles. And there wasn't even very many of those, you know, nothing specific to what I wanted to do. And so like, um, in today's day and age where we have so many tools at our fingertips, you know, it, it, it's, it's the information day and age, but there's still awesome opportunity out there. There's awesome opportunity for adventure out there. If you're just willing to seek it out and, uh, go get it, you know, and, and, um, you're willing to work at it and put in the effort and, and it isn't easy, but there's a lot of opportunity for trophy critters and trophy adventure in today's day and age. Yeah. It's so cool that, you know, like you said, if you're willing to put in the work, you can find these adventures, you know? Yeah, Um, man. It's out there. Like you said, if you're willing to put in the work, you can find these awesome places. And, um, and that's one thing that you can kind of control, you know, um, you can control how hard you work. You can control how willing you're able to push your, or how willing you are to push yourself to get back in these places. So, um, there are a few other couple little things I want to hit with you real quick. This has been an awesome conversation, man. Thank you again for your time. But, um, I was listening to one of the podcasts you did on uh, the hunt back country podcast. And you guys were talking about trail running shoes versus boots. Um, what kind of trail running shoes do you do? You like do you prefer those to boots? Yes, I do. So, um, throughout the years, like I trail run so much that I have really strong ankles, but what I found is that everybody, you know, and everybody has personal preferences as far as footwear and, and, and that's fine. Like you're, you're uh, allowed to do that. But through me and my footwear, what I found is that covering the type of miles and terrain I do that what wore me out more so than anything was heavy boots, heavy, big, stiff boots in the mountains. And, and this is like, it's pushed throughout the hunting community that you need these, these, these big boots, they need to be high boots, you know, for snow and for water. And so, and and they need to be stiff so you can carry a backpack load. But, you know, I trail run so much and I get so accustomed and used to these shoes that, you know, I get on a job site or work in a roof. I can't work a roof in boots. They're stiff. They don't grip to the steepness of the terrain. And um, so I, I found that tennis shoes would grip to these roofs and I could be more agile, more efficient, more effective. And same thing in the hunting world. Like I found that that a pound on my foot really wore me out. So a pound on on your feet is like 10 pounds on your back. Mm. Having to lift up that heavy boot, think of it this way. If you have an extra pound of weight on your boots versus this this set of tennis shoes that you're going to run, an extra pound, well, a lot of days I'll do 40,000 steps. That's 40,000 extra pounds I had to lift with boots on there. Yeah. 40,000 pounds in one day (laughs) now add that up over a week or a month or a season. And so like I, I found that, that tennis shoes, like I was just really agile and plus I'm a bow hunter. And so stalking in on animals and boots, they're really stiff. You can't feel the ground. They make more noise, but I can stock in tennis shoes where I can really feel the ground and feel my foot placement and stick to the rocks and be this this agile hunter and so I really liked hunting and stalking in tennis shoes and so it's been this transition where every time that I'd wear boots I'd you know I just didn't I I wasn't as effective like my I just fatigued quicker and then yeah. so like I just got 
I just loved wearing these tennis shoes. So there's some challenges there. Um, you know, at first I started with the lightest weight, these runner models, they weren't waterproof. And so what would happen is, is not being waterproof, they're also not sealed from dust and debris. And so mm. I'd end up getting all this dust in my shoes and then my feet would sweat and I'd make this mud and my feet would just <laughs> be covered in dirt. And yeah. then they'd, they'd rub on my socks funny. And so I didn't like that much. So I kind of, and, and also I hate having wet feet, you know, wet feet is the worst to try to hunt in. Um, but what I also found is that hunting boots, after wearing them for about a month, that waterproof uh, you know, tends to wear off, you know, and, yeah. and through like now I'm using these Zamberlins and I really believe Zamberlins are building some of the best boots out there. They actually just came out. They had like a pair of, uh, water, uh, water repellent. I don't think they were quite waterproof tennis shoes. And I started using these and they don't push them for hunting. They don't push them. They're like their light hiking models or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I started pushing these through the podcast and they had such, such success with them. And they found out that hunter trends are starting to go that way, that they went back and they redesigned these lightweight tennis shoes. They actually just sent me the prototype of these things. Yeah, I saw and Instagram. Oh, dude, they're so amazing. They're yeah. like built for me. They're under two nice. pounds. They're tennis shoes. I've been running in them, working in them, getting used to them. They're waterproof. Um, so, so I've just found throughout the years that it just puts less exertion on me and I can still carry heavy loads. I'm agile on the trail. So I try to look for like a waterproof lightweight shoe and usually it's like coming in under three pounds, but these new Zamberlin prototypes that aren't out yet that will be out this spring are under two pounds, waterproof, just the perfect mix of stiffness and flexibility. They're just going to be an absolute uh, awesome shoe. So yeah, I tend to go lightweight shoes. And if guys are worried about going with a tennis shoe because of ankle support or side healing. So where boots really help you is um, the stiff shank in them or the the stiff uh, uh, footbed in them will actually help propel you down the trail. So as you walk with your toe, they're so stripped stiff that they'll propel you up Mm. the trail and up hills so that's a place where boots really help um so what i find that when you go to tennis shoes you have to use your calf muscles a lot more and your calf muscles will fatigue and so it's something that you have to kind of build up the muscles also side healing you know you use a lot more of your muscle strain to side hill in tennis shoes than you do a stiff boot a stiff boot will dig in an edge in the side of a side hill And so it's like finding the right mix of that in a tennis shoe and it's training yourself for it. But if guys are are spooked to go with an absolute tennis shoe, like what I recommend is is going with a real low cut lightweight boot. And there's a bunch of them out on the market and you can get into a lightweight boot for under three pounds, under two and a half pounds and achieve that same light on your foot and and get some of that agility of like a running shoe or tennis shoe, but also carry some of the the performance that a boot has with propelling you down the ch- trail, uh, uh, side hilling, and then also carrying a load on a pack. So that's, yeah. that's kind of been my evolution, but yeah, man, I love hunting in shoes and I'll, I'll hunt in shoes in the, in the dang winter time. Like <laughs> I, I just figure out how to get these, um, I'll get, uh, gators, and, and whether that's a higher like Sitka performance gator for deep snow, like right now, or like I use these um, $20 pair of Dirty Girl Gators, which is just like this spandex that Velcros to my shoe that doesn't let dust or rocks get into my shoes and also doesn't let snow in there. And I've, I've noticed like 
in the wintertime, the key to keeping my feet warm is just keeping them dry. Like, like insulated boots don't help me. I don't ever wear insulated yeah. boots. I haven't for 10, 15 years. Insulated boots, like they may keep you a little bit warmer, but the problem is, is once your feet get cold inside of them, you can't get them warmed up. Even yeah. if you're around the fire, or around the truck heater, it's like an insulated block on your foot. <laughs> like it won't allow the heat to get in there. Yeah. And also my feet will sweat in these, which will get me my feet a little damp. And the key to me is keeping my feet dry. But like right now, like you were talking about the 20, 30 below, like I'm out there working in tennis shoes and I just keep my feet dry and, um, and, uh, keep working. Like you have to keep moving. I can't just sit still out there. Um, yeah. and if I do sit still, I've got to figure something else out. Like if you're sitting still in 20 below weather, you got to get a fire going or you got to, um, you know, I've got some insulated booties. I've got some tricks up my sleeve, but yeah, for me, man, I'm, I'm tennis shoes year round. I love those things. Yeah, I I made the mistake of going with some really stiff boots for my Alaska trip and ended up hunting the whole second day after the pack in in Crocs because my <laughs> feet were just my feet. Were, I was trying to save my feet, you know, because I just could tell that they were starting to get hot spots and stuff. Um, so yeah, this has been great, man. Like, dude, I could seriously talk to you all day, but I know you're a busy guy. You got stuff to do, so I do have one more question, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But yeah, no worries. Uh, I, I noticed your um. I think that hunt you were talking about earlier is this video that's it got put out like around December 26th, bow hunting open country bucks. Is that the one you were talking about earlier? No, that's with, actually with a Dan? different hunt. No, oh, okay. that's a different hunt. That was, um, I think we did that. Let's see. I hunted that Nevada early season and then I hunted, uh, uh, Dan had a really good elk tag. I hunted with him, and then, um, then we did the hunt that you're talking about that open country mule deer. So that was okay. a really fun one. Yeah. That was a, a hunt I drew. It was early hot season dealing with smoky conditions, uh, but a really fun one. Yeah. Well, if you guys are listening, definitely go check out that and, you know, Brian's other videos, they're really good, but, um, I just wanted to ask, like, the quality on the video is really good, but it looks like you're probably using a camcorder-style camera, and, you know, I'm going to be doing uh, filming for this Wyoming thing and for Kodiak, um, and so I don't feel like dragging a DSLR in there and dealing with changing lenses. I'll probably bring one, too, but um, what camera are you shooting that on? Yeah, so all of my stuff is filmed on my DSLR. It's filmed oh, you on do? a okay. Yep, it's filmed on a Sony A7II-R. And and what I found is like um like the pros like to use two crank cameras, a wide angle lens and then a 100 to 300. But me for my bow hunting, I don't really need the 100 to 300. Now I'd like to add it to my arsenal, but what I found is that I like to use a single lens that I can get the close and the far shots. And so what I decided on, I got that Sony a 7 r and then I've got a 24 by 240 mm. uh, 24 by 240 lens, maybe a 20. Yeah, I think that's what it is. 24 to 240, it's like the best universal filming lens out there. And so I just pretty much carry that with a mic on top, and then we use that camera. I mean, the... The uh, zoom-ins and the pans aren't as smooth with that DSLR, right. and there's definitely some advantages to the handheld, but I like that cinematography feel to uh, yeah. DSLR, and and you know the A7II-R, like, it's not light. I probably have five pounds of camera gear, but it's way lighter than than packing the handheld and the, the mics and stuff, so it's just a it, it's a good way to go for me. I, I really like it or enjoy it, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm using is that dslr the a7 2r and then um i'm using that 24 by 240 lens and then um 
yeah, just working hard to get those shots, to tripod up, to tell the story. And I'm really excited like that Nevada hunt, that dehydration hunt that we talked about earlier yeah. this year. I actually have that entire one filmed and it's nice. it's beautiful high country and it's really crisp and clear. We didn't have the smoke because it took place in August. And so... And it was my first hunt of the year. So, man, I did a really good job at capturing that hunt. So I'm excited to see that all edited and come out. It hasn't been released yet, but will be here shortly. But, um, yeah, that's that's my setup and what I'm using. And the, the main thing is, like, when you don't feel like talking into the camera, you turn that camera on and talk into it. So one of the biggest pieces they used in that open country mule deer film that you saw in there was me missing that big sticker buck. Yeah. And, um, man, it was the buck of my dreams that I had spotted and I had seen him. I was uh, like, we were five, six, seven days into the hunt or whatever. We were at the end of the hunt and I spotted it on the last day and I watched him bed around the side of this cliff. And so I went and got Dan. He was glassing another little spot. And I said, Hey dude, I found a, I found a good buck. He's a double sticker buck, really heavy, dark, dark horns. And he bedded below this cliff. Like, dude, I'm all in, I'm going to shoot this buck. And so I went over there and actually, um, I got, I snuck right on top of this deer, but he was so close to the cliff that I couldn't see him until I got down over the second ledge and got over. And actually this buck was five yards below me and I could see his horns and I could see his head turning and that he was nervous. So I couldn't come over the top and shoot him at five yards. And he must've heard just a little bit of gravel on top of that cliff as I was trying to creep to the edge. So I had him there, but the camera couldn't see him and I couldn't lean over to shoot him because he was looking up in my direction and Real nervous and then it finally after a five minute standoff of being right on top of him now that may have been my opportunity to kill him with my teeth and claws too <laughs> it was really <laughs> close down there but uh yeah i it was almost like that scenario but the buck finally spooked and he spooked around the corner and i went to the top of the hill to get a look at him after he spooked and he stopped and he was down there at 20 yards like just a gimme shot for me mm -hmm. the camera my buddy dan got on him i got just drawn back and and I just got drawn back found um you know I line up my aperture with my peep sight so I'm all lined up I just get lined up and this buck turns to start rolling to go and he's gonna be gone and I threw my pin on him in a flash and I punched off my trigger to try to get a shot on him. so I didn't execute the best shot it was all like hurry up now's your moment try to put one in him and my my arrow went right over his back at 20 mm. yards I just had rushed the shot I blew it then the buck didn't stop and never gave me another opportunity and he was gone out of my life forever and so I had this <laughs> this 20 yard gimme shot on a dream mule deer that I just duffed and um, so I, I was really at my lowest low like missing that buck and all these days and effort we had put in I gave Dan a bunch of stocks this was like the first stock I had actually went on and uh, I blew it and so mm. I just turned on the camera and I just started talking into the camera. And through that, you get a little comic relief as I'm talking about selling my bow and how I'm yeah. an inch <laughs> tall. And like, you just got this authentic, like what it feels like to miss, like how it just, uh, uh, how it just stabs me into my heart. Like, it's just like, I put so much into it yeah. and then I've, I've waited all year and I pride myself at being clutch in these moments. And I, I duffed it. I messed it up and I have to be better in these situations. And so like a lot of that film is like five minutes of me talking at my lowest low, like in yeah. podcast format about how I messed up and how I need to be better. And then what made the story so great is that, you know, I went home and I was actually supposed to start an elk hunt and I thought, no, 
I'm going to go back and I'm going to give this muley hunt my all. And I went back. Dan couldn't come back with me. I went back solo and I filmed the finish to this hunt all solo. And I went back in and I gave it my all. And part, part of the thing that the film doesn't show is that, you know, my dirt bike ended up breaking down. And my dirt bike was just to get me to a place where I could take off hiking. But now my dirt bike broke down. I had Mm. to jog. You know, we talked about that 15 miles back to my truck during elk season. I had to do about 13 miles in the heat from my bike back to my truck um, with my bike broke down and and then get my truck back to my bike as close as I could walk my bike, get it all low. I had all these challenges and without this unit was a dirt bike heavy unit where there's a bunch of roads and access points where you need to use this bike. Now I don't even have a bike. It's broke down. I Mm. finally got it back to my truck. So I had to do you know, 10 miles from where my bike was just to get to the place where I wanted to start hiking. So I just loaded up my backpack with all my gear and all my sleeping stuff and just thought, well, I can either quit now or I'm all in. I've drove all the way down here and I backpack way back into this unit like, um, you know, and, and push my own governor and what I think I'm capable of my own limits in the heat and just started, you know, camping wherever I ended up. And, and finally I ended up finding this, this, um, tall deep fork buck and and uh, made a good play i was able to film the entire thing i had to wait for him to stand for an hour and then i made to he- had to make a heck of a shot on him and you know i i put the pin where i was supposed to and executed a perfect shot and watched that arrow just bury into him right in the spot and watched him go over the hill and die and and dude i talk about that bull being one of my highest moments this year but finding redemption on that buck after i missed and everything that i put into it and all the challenges i faced dude i was riding a high i was at at top of tops as good as i can feel like i'm buzzing right now just telling you about it (laughs) to be able to walk up on this giant four point with this great frame and a couple stickers and just like dude it felt so good to redeem myself and then have this this long pack out in the heat of the day and get my meat all down to my to you know cooler full of ice and get them put on and do the whole thing solo dude it um that's that's why i love backcountry bow hunting it'll take you to your lowest low like it did a handful of days earlier all the way to my highest high just by the effort i put in just by the never quit attitude just by giving it my all and come out on top and now feel like an absolute hero and get to ride that success all year long man it's just an amazing journey yeah that's awesome man that redemption is so cool and um uh, yeah going back to the filming thing yeah so i I shoot with a sony a7 too it's a great camera and um man i'd love to like I said, I could talk to you all day. I maybe, you know, maybe if you're down in a couple months or something, we could do another one just talking about self-filming or something. Because I'm going to be, like I said, doing these films on my trips this year. Um, but um, yeah, just going back to like, like you said, with that pack out, with those guys helping you out, man. Like, um, kind of see it's like almost an analogy here. Like, I just, um, I've been so impressed with um, just the Western co- hunting community. You know, like guys like you just taking time out of your day to talk to a lowly little podcaster like myself, just getting started. So I really appreciate your time, man. And I've learned a ton. And really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, Hunter, I really enjoyed connecting with you. So yeah, um, I, I'm 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 glad you're in the middle of your own journey, and congratulations on the podcast. And yeah, man, hit me up anytime. You've got my number. Stay in touch. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really glad to connect with you. Like you say, I love this this hunting community is so great too. Just like the the like minded people you meet, and and just you having me on and uh, uh, appreciating you know the the information and knowledge shared and and eating it up and 
and trying to improve your own journey, man. Like I, I just really enjoy being part of this community and I'm, I'm so humbled by the, the, the following of one person like yourself, you know, much more like the, the everybody that follows my podcast. It's, it's just yeah, amazing. And I'm, I'm building these, these friends out there that get to know me and my personality and what drives me and they connect with it, man, it's so humbling to have that kind of support. And so just likewise, man, I try to show the, uh, the same support to everybody else wherever they're at in their own journey. And I, I, I hold nothing back and try to give everybody the information that helps make me successful. And I, man, I'm just like this average blue collar carpenter from Ennis, Montana, originally from the Pacific Northwest that just fell in love with bow hunting and put everything into it. And dude, I'm able to create this lifestyle now of, uh, of hunting and gain respect for my peers. So man, it's just been an amazing journey for me. So man, I really appreciate you having me on. So anytime you just hit me up and we'll jump on a mic and uh, it's easy for me to do. <laughs> Yeah, man. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. So thanks again for listening, guys. And uh, this is Brian Barney. Make sure to check him out on uh, Eastman's Elevated podcast and also on YouTube. And you can also see some of his stuff on the Outdoor channel. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I know I really got a lot out of it, and I hope you did too. So thanks again for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to Hunter's Quest Podcast. And make sure you stay up to date on Instagram at Hunter's Quest underscore with pictures and videos from the stories we tell here and just my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're going to be having on here. I'm also more than happy to answer any questions you guys might have, whether it's about hunting or spiritual stuff or fitness or gear. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to stay on this journey with me, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. It helps me out big time. So yeah, shoot me a message anytime, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and continuing this quest together.